to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hey everybody, this is A. Gregory Luna. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child, live from Colorado. I decided to take a weekend over here in Breckenridge, long teacher weekend, uh, to check out the sights. Believe it or not, even though I live in Texas, I have never gone skiing ever in my life. My father, if you go back to that episode on the cancer doctor, I talk about him. He was more erudite and professorial, and he was never into skiing and hiking and outdoorsy stuff. And growing up, I was around people who were not similarly interested. And so I reached a point when I married my ex-wife, she wasn't into skiing. So I never went skiing. So I'm 44 years old and now I'm in one of the more famous ski resorts. And although there's no skiing going on right now because there's not enough snow on the top of the hill, um, it's just kind of ironic. But I just wanted to get away, see the mountains and so forth. I wanted to go back to Canada to, to see the water and the ocean, but it was just too far from Texas. So it was a nice little trip. I did a little hiking. I made the mistake given that I'm not very too accustomed to snow, not packing boots, partly because I don't have any boots. And so when I went, I wanted to go hiking and, and in the trails up in the, in the mountains, there is snow and the snow has been there for some time. So on the trail, the snow is not fresh. It's been packed down by hikers on it's almost like ice. And I noticed I was wearing my sneakers because I only brought sneakers and dress shoes. And I was slipping and sliding a lot. I was like, oh, this isn't going to bode well for me. But I, I made it about two, two miles out of this five-mile hike. I want to go to the Mohawk Lakes, which are really apparently pretty pretty. And I decided, no, I'm going to turn back. And then on the way back, I slipped. I slipped one time. And I slipped like straight onto my back. It was just totally unexpected. <laughs> Boom, I didn't fall on my butt, so I didn't hurt my coccyx or my ischium. I didn't fall back onto my hands and try to support myself because I could have fractured my forearm, which is a common way to fracture, like skateboarders do when you're falling. You you hyperextend your, your radius. And uh, no, so I fell right on my back, though, and I lost my breath. I had my wind knocked out of me is the first time it's probably happened to me like in 25 years and I remember just looking up at the sky and being surrounded by trees and snow and just trying to catch my breath and I, I was sore and, I, I, and this happened two days ago it was on Saturday morning and I'm recording this on a, on a Monday and I'm still very sore my, my left lower back is sore I'm just hoping that's going to work itself out I can walk but like anytime I turn or get up a bag or lift my legs or any just kind of twerking, twerking of the body, it hurts. So I'm hoping this is going to go away. But yeah, so I, I look in the long run, like I could have tweaked a knee or ripped a ligament, but it's, you know, it serves me well because uh, why do you go hiking in sneakers with very little traction? I saw the other people, they had boots or at the least they had boots with chains on them. I'm like, these people are legitly prepped. So yes. So look, I wanted to talk today about the bloopy. Uh, I have not done a standalone episode about the bloopy, but I know that people deal with, there's some sort of rodent eating something outside here. I'm, I'm on a patio here. I don't know what he's eating. He looks cute though. I, I've, done, I've done episodes where I've talked about uh, rolls of fat and, and pre, either pre-weight loss or post-weight loss, but I've never really focused on just the adaptation of the body 
during obesity and then after obesity and some of just the weird kind of quirks that I still continue to have. And even now, right now, I just shaved my head because I shave it every other day. Some of these weird quirks I still do. And I've gotten some feedback about people, either through the interviews that I've done or interviews that I'm going to do through that I've set up. And people still are, are hung up on it. And let's talk about our body pre-weight loss. So when I was morbidly overweight, I never looked in the mirror. I would never look in the mirror. And the way I looked at it was there's no reason to look in the mirror aside from doing my hair. And back then I had so much hair, guys, and it was so unruly that for me to brush it, I had to dip my head in the sink to get it wet before I could brush it. That's how much hair I used to have back when I was in high school. But aside from hair and maybe shaving, because I think I started to shave in high school, you know, I, I can grow out a beard. I wouldn't look at my body. I didn't want to look at my body. We've talked about the episode about the bra, how I had to go try out a bra, and I knew I had man boobs because the kids would always do titty twisters and call me, you know, man girl and she girl and, and all these things like that. And so why would I want to look at my flabby you know, breast, my gynecomastia breast there? And of course, the fat rolls I never wanted to look at. Throughout most of my high school life, I couldn't see my feet, which is common. If I was standing erect and looking down, the belly would obscure that. There was a time where I couldn't even tie my shoes. So my mom always had to get on slip-on shoes because I couldn't reach them. And so there was no reason for me to look at my belly. And there was really no opportunity uh, throughout my high school that I had to look at my belly. Luckily, the, the locker rooms didn't have mirrors. And if they did, I would change away from the mirrors. And I knew like when I jumped up and down and did, uh, you know, calisthenics and stuff like that, I could feel my fat jump and ripple like a split second later than my my body did. And so I knew I was, you know, I had the fat rolls. I knew I smelled and I just thought there is really no reason that I need to look at my body because it's just going to remind me how fat I am. And it's just going to get me depressed more, which will lead to more of that self-harm eating that overweight people do, right? And because so that was kind of the MO. Now, when I started to lose my weight when I was 18, I didn't look at my body more. And I wasn't really looking at the changes. I just noticed like my clothes would fit bigger or I could get smaller pants. And I wouldn't even look down at my belt. Let's say I, if there was ever a time I had pants on without a shirt and looked down to see where the, the waist would be, I wouldn't even do that. But I do notice some major milestones that I did have. Uh, as I was going through my weight loss, and if you don't, if if you don't recall how I lost it, there's an episode called "How Did I Lose My Weight." It's got episode 21 or 22 on this podcast series. But uh, I lost it pretty fast. It was about seven months. But I do remember the first milestone where I could see my feet, and it was such a glorious thing. It's like the skies opened up, oh, and I could see my feet. So I want to spend more of the time though after I lost my weight because after you lose your weight. A lot of people would think, well, you know, it's game over. You're comfortable with your body. Oh, not so. Not so at all. So in college, if you go back to the episode on college dysfunction, 
I still felt like a fat kid in a skinnier kid's body. And I would never have called myself skinny. I thought I was normal weight. Now, for my height, I was ranging from anywhere from 170 maybe to 190 in high school. And I wouldn't look at my body, but I did know that I had stretch marks. I had stretch marks, and I still have stretch marks in two predominant areas. One would be around my triceps on the underside of the arms. You can still see the stretch marks there. And, of course, my abdomen. My abdomen has loads of stretch marks. And that's not including the bloopy, which we'll talk about in a second, but the stretch marks themselves. So after I lost my weight, I knew I had kind of jingly arms, you know, like when women lose their weight, they, they kind of have those jingly underarms. I kind of had those, and I still had the, the stretch marks. And so I was very self-conscious about this. So when I started to have relationships with girls, and I really didn't date anybody in college aside from my ex-wife I met my senior year, but the three other years I just kind of kissed and made out with, I mean, nothing serious, uh, with women, I would tell them that I had zones, zones in my body that they could touch or not touch. So the white zones were things that they could touch, my head, my arms, forearms, hands, my legs, my feet, uh, maybe my thigh. The gray zones were going to be, again, you can notice, everything closer to the trunk. So the gray zones would be my chest, my upper back, and that's about it. And then the black zones would be things I would never want them to touch. And that was mostly my abdomen because I had the bloopy and I had the stretch marks and also my butt. Now, when after I lost my weight, I had no butt at all. And even now, I don't have a butt. They, the girls in high school used to call it the what butt because there was no butt. So I have no butt. Uh, my butt is very, uh, you know, like, like my ex-wife used to say, my body is kind of like the cat in the hat body where it's like tall, bony, but flabby. So my butt is kind of bony because I don't have a lot of muscle and fat there, and then flabby at the same time if there's some weird combination that you can have of both of those. So I would tell these girls, like, oh, oh you're, about, you're touching my white zone. You're touching my white zone. Okay, that's okay. You're touching my black zone. Get your hand off my black zone. And, you know, in retrospect, how insane must I have sounded? And how patient or desperate these girls must have been to tolerate some due to white zones. I mean, maybe they were sympathetic at the, at the beginning. They, they understood that I was going through this. And, of course, they would tell me that my body looked fine. But I really didn't know if my body looked fine because I didn't want to look down or look in the mirror and look at my body because I was afraid what I was going to see. Because even at the lowest point of my weight, which is probably around 167, now I'm 6'2", so 167 is pretty low. Even at the lowest point of my body, I would never look in the mirror because this, this is what I would see. I would see my closest friend, the bloopy. Now, the bloopy is this curtain of fat that hangs down right kind of like the midline of the body through the belly button and it's on uh it runs kind of like longitudinally down my belly button from about the sternum down into the pelvis now the bloopy does not look that obvious when i'm standing up when I'm standing up, it's not. Now, it's soft and squishy because it's excess skin that never went away. Now, on the lateral of the bloopy, on either side, left or right, that's where I would have the stretch marks. And normally in that area, I'm pretty, I guess, normal or trim. But the bloopy would kind of stick out. So 
where when it would really stick out is when I would lean over. So if I would lean over, let's say, to tie my shoes or to bend over, then the bloopy would just grow like a woman's clitoris out of nowhere. It would just go bloop, and it would hang down a good six inches from my body. And it was like this fat curtain. I don't know how to explain it. It would kind of be like a uh, – I don't know. It would just be hanging down from the middle for about six inches. And I can lean over and swish it back and forth, and it would swish it back and forth. So I was very conscientious of this. So even when I was 167, had I looked down or had I looked at myself in the mirror without a shirt on, I would have noticed this bloopy. And so even at 167, I would have this bloopy. This bloopy won't go away because it's not adipose fat. It's loose skin. And so what I would look though in the mirror because I had body dysmorphia is I'm still fat, I need to lose more weight. And even though there was a conscious side, a conscious side of me that knew I can't lose any more weight. I can't lose any more weight. So I would I would not want to look in the mirror. But then like when I would do push-ups or anything that required me to lean over, my peripheral vision would see the bloopies flooping back and forth. And I was of course very self-conscious about this. Later on when I started being sexually active and anytime I had to be in a position like the missionary position, I was very self-conscious about this. And it's not like any woman would say, oh my God, you have a fat drape that's swishing back and forth. That's so gross. No woman ever said that to me. None. Which is great, of course. But I, I was cognizant of it and I was always very self-conscious of it. So the question you might ask is, why didn't I get the bloopy removed? Well, in college, I never really thought about it. I was never a big fan of surgery and going under the knife. And also, I knew it was more of a cosmetic thing. And even though I knew it made me very self-conscious, I wanted to play it off like it didn't bother me. So, you know, even if my parents, my dad was like, do you want to get the plastic surgery to get the... I always said, no, dad, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm all right with it. It's not like they ever brought it to my attention because I would never take off my shirt around them even after I lost my weight. So I I grew up with this bloopy and the bloopy hangs I I should mention too. So if you're looking at me laterally standing up, so from the side, from the side, the bloopy would kind of go and then hang down a little near the lower part of my pelvis and then come back up. So it was like something you could not really escape. Now the bloopy I was a hostage to hostage to the bloopy for 20-something years. I never look at myself in the mirror. I mean, and even now, I probably have never looked at myself fully in the mirror. But definitely for 20 years, I was ashamed and controlled by the bloopy. Now, what happened around 2014 was that I started to take my shirt off going to the pool or to exercise. So, as I just said right now, that, that was suggested I did wear a shirt when I went exercising and when I went swimming. So even as an adult, through my 20s and through my 30s, the majority of the time that I would go to a pool, I would wear a shirt. Now, I had mentioned in Sex as My Mistress, I think, there were two times where I did gain a little weight. When, my, when I moved to Alaska in 97, and then when my father died in 2007, 2008, I probably gained 20, 25 pounds. But the other times throughout the 27 years of weight loss, I've, I've kept a normal weight or maybe, you know, maybe five pounds overweight. 
but it's certainly not enough to necessitate wearing a shirt because typically only men who wear shirts are the, are the more really overweight. Now, if you listen to the episode I did in the swimming pool, this is one of the things I would deliberate is whether or not wearing a shirt made it look more obvious or less obvious than I was overweight. And of course, it, it doesn't matter. You know, wearing a shirt doesn't obscure your morbid obesity. But the way I rationalized it was at least they wouldn't see maybe my breasts as much or the stretch marks or the bloopy would not be as apparent. So I would wear a shirt. And then around 2014, 2015, I don't know exactly what happened. I do remember losing more weight uh, because I started fasting around that time, daily fasting, and I've been fasting since then. So I think I did lose some weight, and I got really skinny or trim or what I perceived to be healthier. And so maybe at that point, I felt more comfortable running without a shirt. Now, running without a shirt was not a big deal because typically I would run on, on a track in the morning or I would run at some park in San Antonio where there's not a lot of people. And so running was not as big of a deal uh, as going to the pool without a shirt. Because going to a pool without a shirt, of course, there's going to be people around. And I, I guess I just reached a point where I was just like, sometimes you just got to say, you know, what the F, to quote the famous line in Risky Business, Tom Cruise's great movie. And I was like, why? I am 40. Why am I still living trapped by this childhood fear and trauma? Also, I knew at this point that, yes, I did not have the perfect body, but I had a better body than most 40-year-old men in San Antonio. And so I would step back and look around. Now, thankfully, I don't live in Denver, Seattle, Portland, or the super fit places, LA, Miami. Uh, San Antonio is, is, is one of the most overweight cities. But I would look around and be like, look, I know I got these these this bloopy that bounces up and down when I run. And I have these stretch marks on my arms and on my abdomen. But look, probably these guys over here would love to have my body. And also, you know, it helps that I'm tall. I'm taller than the typical San Antonian. And so I think I just was like, come on, you got to get over this. So I started to run without a shirt. And even to this day, even when it's cold, I pretty much run without my shirt. And at the beginning, it's funny because with runs, at the beginning, I'll feel the bloopy go up and down. And then after a little while, it doesn't, it just goes away. Now, many times when I'm wearing my super tight pants and I still have these same workout shorts that both my ex-wife and Katie would tell me, you know, Albert, you really got to throw away those pants. They're way too tight. And I still wear them. So when I'm running, is because I have this idea that I can't run well if I'm wearing shorts that go down to my knees, like basketball shorts. It's idiotic. It's an idiotic thing. But I've had these shorts forever. And so I wear them, of course, with underwear. And I should say, like, in the old days... Back when I was running in the in, in the 90s and the knots, I would wear a Walkman and I'd put the Walkman on the shorts and the Walkman would bounce up and down because it was on the bloopy. And uh, I would get like this, this ripping and this scarring and, the, and these scabs on my abdomen where the Walkman would go up and down because I didn't like holding the Walkman. And then later on now, uh, I just I put them in the pocket when I run. But they would always tell me to get rid of those pits. So when I'm running with those pits, they always slide underneath the bloopy. I always slide underneath the bloopy. And that was like the other thing, like when I would buy clothes, if I really wanted to have a smaller waist, I would buy clothes where I would put the waist underneath the bloopy. You see a lot of guys who do that who have a beer belly, right? They don't want to put the pants around the waist because the waist is really supposed to be your belly button. 
And so they put it below it so they can, you know, rationalize that they're not maybe getting a beer gut. Uh, so that was always a dilemma I had. I always kept my pa- my pant waist at the belly button. I didn't go under it. But many times if I was running or jumping, it would just fall underneath the bloopy down to my kind of pubic area. So that was a big kind of uh, advancement with, with the conscientiousness of the bloopy. And even going, uh, even a year or two ago, uh, you know, because running with around anonymous people is not that big of a deal. Running or going to a pool with a loved one is not that big of a deal. But I went tubing with some friends a couple years ago, and that was a little awkward to have to take my shirt off in front of these people. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're old enough now where this shouldn't, you shouldn't care about it. So I took off my shirt and, and I did what I did. And, and, uh, you know, no one said anything or anything like that. So I, I just have to remember that. It's like, would I want to be shirtless at some pool function uh, that, that I had to go to now? Uh, probably not. But I remember where I used to work at certain hospitals or urgent care clinics, there'd be a summer pool party. And I would intentionally not go because I didn't want to have to go in the pool and take off my shirt or wear a shirt because I thought both of them were kind of weird. Because it was either weird because why is this guy who's normal weight wearing a shirt or has a bloopy or it makes me look self-conscious. Kind of like with balding. You know, that's why I shave my head and I own it now because I think a hairpiece or a toupee or something like that just makes you look self-conscious. So now if there was a pool party, would I go to it? I don't know. Probably I would because, again, you don't want to have people having control over you, even in your mind mentally. You don't want that. So the last thing I want to mention, though, is do I look at myself in the mirror now, now that I'm 44? And the answer to that is pretty much no. No, I don't. And I look at myself when I shave, and I typically shave without my shirt off because I don't want to get shaving cream on my clothes, even though shaving cream always ends up inside my the oracles of my ears, those little, those little folds in your ears. But uh, I can shave and keep my focus on my face and not sc- like scroll down to my bloopy, because when I'm shaving, I'm typically leaning over. And But no, no, I don't. No, I, I, don't, I don't just look in the mirror naked right now or look in the mirror, even with wearing pants or shorts. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. And I think I don't want to see it because, A, I think I'm going to, you know, with, with body dysmorphia, I still retain some of that. It's a, it's a vestige of an earlier era. And I think a lot of people, if you were to ask maybe Deborah or Heather, who I've interviewed before, they would maybe concur with that. But if I don't want to see my imperfections. Now, Heather I think she mentioned in her interview, and if you didn't hear that interview, that was about four interviews back. She has had ample plastic surgery around the the, the abdomen to get all that stuff knocked out, and uh, she looks great. You know, I've seen pictures of her where she's just wearing a bikini, and I think actually on the website for the interview uh, episode there is a picture of her just wearing a bikini. And I think she did that because she had no problem going under the knife. And because she's a woman, I think women are okay with plastic surgery. Deborah, I don't think Deborah has had plastic surgery for that area. But this is something that anybody who's lost weight, a lot of weight has to deal with because they are happy that they've lost the weight. But now you're dealing with weight maintenance, which is very stressful. And now you're also dealing with 
the the fat rolls and what to do with them and, and the discomfort that comes with having to expose yourself to this. Now, a lot of people who know you, they'll be like, hey, man, you lost your weight. You look great. Don't worry about that stuff. It'll go away. Well, first of all, it won't go away. Those fat rolls won't go away. You can put vitamin A cream on it all you want or coconut oil. It's not going to go away. So you'll have friends who be like, hey, man, you've lost the weight. That's the big thing. I know this is kind of this kind of sucks, but you kind of live with it. And then some would maybe recommend you do plastic surgery. But going back to me, so when I look in the mirror, I don't I don't look at it because I, if I see it, I'm going to be disgusted by it and I'm going to be self-conscious about it and I'm probably either going to self-loathe and eat a lot of food, which would of course be counterintuitive, or I'll think that I need to lose weight and then crash diet, which I think is bad too. And this is also why I don't weigh myself. I have not weighed myself uh, for some time. I think it's probably been three years because I don't want to know my weight. I don't want to know my weight, which is kind of stupid because this is how people gain weight or they lose too much weight is that they're not weighing themselves. But then you're like, oh, I got my clothes on my clothes. But then when the clothes get tight, if you go back to that episode I did about seven episodes back where I talked about the, the weight regain, that I that I had back in the, the, the winter, that uh, you always rationalize the clothes, right? Oh, well, the clothes must be shrinking because I'm drying them too much in the dryer. Uh, no, no, they're not. No, this is you. This is your problem. So do I need to look at myself in the mirror? Yes. Will I look at myself in the mirror? Probably not because I don't see what gain I get out of it. It's going to go self-loathing either way. I don't know if I'm at that point where I could be like, yeah, hey, Albert, you know what? Well, yeah, you got this bloop. You've had it for 30 years. But you know what's worse? Being morbidly overweight. So be happy that this is all you have. This is who you are. You've still been able to attract women with the bloopy. You know, it, it's it's fine. Accept who you are. And on one level, I can accept who I, who I am and say that. And I'll say that. But when the, the proof is in the pudding, I don't look at myself in the mirror. Now, the last thing, too, is when I go to the gym, I go to the steam room, and I go to the sauna, and I'll change in the locker room around the men and go completely naked and then put a towel around me when I go in the sauna and steam room, and then I'll shave looking in the the mirror only, just at my face, of course. And then I, I wonder, it's like, what do the men there look at me when they see me? What what do they think? And I have some close friends that I'm at the wine. I really should ask them. Like, what do you think of my body? Or what, do you think this is where this bloopy? And, you know, maybe they've never even noticed it. Also, a lot of the men at the gym are morbidly overweight, too. So they'd be like, dude, yeah, you might have a bloopy, but I'd rather have your body. So it's just funny. It's kind of like with with beauty and with, with skill and all these things. It's so much of a waste of time to focus on where you're at in that spectrum. Because there's always going to be somebody that's better looking than you. There's always going to be somebody that's uglier than you. There's always going to be somebody who makes more money than you, someone who makes less money than you. There's always going to be somebody who's more skilled at fill in the blank than you. And there's always going to be people that you're more skilled at. So living in this kind of like keeping up with the Jones, this constant evaluation, constant comparing only leads to anxiety. I mean, we have to come to a point where we just accept who we are. And I have made some strides accepting who I am, for example, taking off my shirt when I'm outside, running and so forth. But I definitely still have things that I need to strive for. Now, will there ever be a point where I will take a picture of myself at the beach uh, shirtless 
and post it on social media? Probably never. Probably never. Will I ever consciously take a picture of myself from waist up uh, without my shirt? No. No. Probably consciously, no. No, I, I probably never will. So I don't know if this is a good thing because I've, I, can, I can just be honest with myself and look, you know you're never going to do this. Or if this is something that I need to overcome. The last thing I want to mention is, speaking of overcoming, and this is completely off topic, when I went to, Cal when I went to Canada, I had to drive across this 13-mile super high bridge to get onto Prince Edward Island. I mentioned this on the uh, Earthing podcast episode on the Cold Health News, and I had this panic attack, and I never had this problem going over the bridge. I could feel like I thought my calf was going to tense up because it was only one lane either way, and you're very high up. On this bridge, I, I think that's why I got all panicky, because I never been in a bridge this high, and I've been on bridges all the time my whole life driving, no big deal. And so I got across it, but I was afraid my calf was going to tighten up, and I was going to, you know, when you get those those Charlie horses, if you do it when you're driving, you know, you have to jump up and walk. If not, the Charlie horse locks in; it's excruciating. I thought, oh my god, if I have a Charlie horse, I'm going to crash this car, or I'm at the best, I'm going to have to stop the car, and the traffic will be behind me, and I'll have a panic attack, and I'll start crying. Anyway, so I got through it, and I was all sweating and panicking, and then I thought, oh my god, I'm going to have to go through this bridge again. And I eventually did go across the bridge again, and it was the same thing. Nothing bad happened. I was able to get through it. I didn't have to stop the car. But then I noticed for the rest of the trip, every time I went over a bridge or a tunnel, like when I was in Boston, that has no shoulder, or any time I'm in a, the middle of a lane of a freeway that I feel is going fast, I get really panicking because there's no escape. And I noticed on this trip... And when I'm in San Antonio, it kind of went away. When I got back uh, on the overhead passes, maybe I was a little self-conscious, but as, as a whole, it, it kind of went away. Now, on this trip, when I came through to Denver, to Breckenridge, I had to go through this Eisenhower tunnel, and I didn't know about it. It was like a mile-long tunnel. And when I went through it, I was like, oh, shish kebab. It had no shoulder, but it was two lanes either way. But yeah, that same feeling came by, and, and now what I have to do is I have to drive through that tunnel or take a circuitous route through the mountains to get back to Denver because I'm flying out today. And so I've been asking my friends, like, what should I do? Because I, I need to overcome this. And this is not, it's not necessarily a non sequitur because it is connected to overcoming your fears. And I know I need to overcome this and just say, screw it and drive through that mile long um, tunnel because what's the worst that's really going to happen? What's honestly the worst that's going to happen? Chances are I'm just going to get sweaty and I'm going to get the shortness of breath, but I'll go really slow because it's two lanes and I can just go slower and I will get through it. Worst case scenario is what? I get a panic attack and I have to pull over and I, I, I crash the car, skid the car along the, the side of the tunnel. Okay, that, that would not be good, of course, uh, because I'd have to pay for that. Or if I got out of the car, I could get hit by a car. See, now this is catastrophizing. See, this is going to catastrophize. So either way, this is something I'm going to go through. By the time you listen to this episode, I will have told you if I went through the tunnel or not. But this is something I need to go through. I can't live my whole life now hostage to going over bridges and tunnels and overpasses. That is freaking ridiculous. I didn't have this until I, this year, 44. So it's something I need to overcome. I need to overcome, and you need to overcome it too. If you have fears, you need to overcome them. And I have students who have to do medical minutes where they have to read a medical article in front of class, just any health article, and a lot of them, are, it takes like a minute. 
And a lot of them, I can't do it. I'm scared. I'm like, no, you have to overcome this. I'm not even grading on how well you grade, uh, how well you read it. I'm just grading you for going up there and sharing this, whatever article you want to talk about. And it's the same thing with here. I have to overcome it. All right, guys. So as always, please post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child. This is the minor th the feed out of the three feeds that we have, Kate's Apothecary and naturopathy, arthritis, and occult health news. So please post a review for Confessions. I know it has a, a much smaller audience, but an, a, a review would really mean a lot to me. And as always, listen to the main feed. If any of you are wanting to lose weight, I offer a lot of tips on things to avoid in the main MP radio and occult health news feed where we talk about the hormone disruptors which lead to fat storage. We just recently did one. I wrote an article about fruits and how we should eat low glycemic fruits because having insulin in your body, which happens pretty much every time you eat, leads to fat storage. So there's these little self-sabotaging things that we can do. I did an episode recently on medications that make you fat. And of course, if you don't know this, when you take these drugs and you gain weight, you think that's that's something that you're doing, that you're eating something wrong. No, it's not that. It's like you're taking an antidepressant or you're taking Zyrtec or whatever, and these make you overweight. So I would really peruse those titles and find one and find all of them that have to do with weight loss and weight maintenance and listen to them. And of course, please post a review there. So guys, as always, go to the website, naturopathicearth.com. Check out all the articles. Check out all the recipes because most of them are keto and very weight loss and weight maintenance friendly. Until next time, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.